Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Uh, Let's talk shipwrecks. There's no nice transition from Christmas parties to shipwrecks, so there it is. Let's talk shipwrecks. How many of you like to travel? Uh, how many of you like being at the location even more than getting there? Okay, all right. Um, I have had the privilege of being, as being a pastor. Uh, just for the record, this is not a job that I picked. I did not choose this career. I did not want this job. I did not want this career. God called me. And I had a choice of to either surrender and say yes to that call or to resist and go do something else. And for years, I resisted and went to do, tried to do other things and pursue other things. And that's another story for another day. But ultimately, when I was 18 years old, it was May. I remember where I was in my bedroom with my teal bedspread and my teal carpet and my teal walls because teal was cool back in that, in the 90s. It was cool. The 1990s, not the 1890s. It was cool. I remember right where I was, what time it was, when I finally was just so torn up because a month away from graduating from high school and just was not settled on what to do. My career, I finally just said, Lord, I surrender. And whatever it is that you have for me, I will say yes to it. And so I did ultimately um, uh, surrender to the... uh, It's okay, it's just distracting me. I'm like, did I say something wrong? No, you're fine, you're fine, carry on. Uh, I did ultimately just surrender to the Lord's call on my life and got here. One of the cool things about my job is I've gotten to travel some, a little bit. And uh, I've seen a lot of the world, whether it was just on short-term missions trips or on teaching trips or on ministry trips or travels, and a lot of the places that were kind of on my bucket list, I've seen them already. And I started to think the other day, my bucket list is getting shorter, um... That's not the list you want to finish. You know, like what, do, are any of you awake this morning? I feel like I'm working. Are you here? I know the jokes aren't great, but come on. Like, get, throw me a bone one Sunday. You laughed for songs in the other week. I mean, come on. Do you really want to finish your bucket list? What happens at the end of that? I mean, you just die. Is that all you have to look forward to? But I'm trying to add on to things on the bucket list so it doesn't get on. And I asked the first service, and because of the reason, I won't, I won't ask you because I don't know if you'll respond, but I asked them, you know, is there a place that you would like to go see that you haven't seen yet? And I heard Ireland. I heard Japan. For me, it's, um, you know, I would love to see Hawaii. I would love to see uh, San Diego and Seattle and some parts of the West Coast I haven't been to. Would love to see Australia and would love to get to Scandinavia. Other than that, I've pretty much seen every part of the world that I want to see. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a traveler, and he had been a lot of places, but there's one place he really wanted to go. You know where that place was? He talked about it all the time. He wanted to get to Rome. In fact, in the first verse, somebody said, I, want to, I would love to see Italy. I've not been there. Um, he said, I would love to see. Paul wanted to go to Rome. And when I think about what it would be like to get to the places that I would like to see, part of the thing that kind of sobers me up is I'm thinking, I would love to go to Australia, but you know how long that flight is? And in the class that I usually fly, it's not comfortable. <laughs> and so I think, oh, I would like to get there and be there. But man, I would not like to go. You know, something about the way, the mode of getting there dampens my enthusiasm a little bit. Do you think Paul imagined that he would get to Rome the way he's getting there? As a prisoner, on a grain boat, 
with a bunch of other prisoners around him, floundering through the Mediterranean Sea very slowly and then ending up in a typhoon. That's probably not the way that he imagined getting there. Nonetheless, he's making it there. And so, you know, just by a quick refresher, Paul, I'm sorry, God also wanted Paul to get to Rome. God had a dream for Paul to get to Rome. Do you remember why Paul, why God wanted Paul to get to Rome? It wasn't for sightseeing. It wasn't for archaeology. It wasn't probably even primarily so that he could plant churches and teach. God had a special reason for why he wanted Paul to get to, actually, can we pause for a second and pray just for a moment again? Heavenly Father, I recognize this morning, maybe it, I'm a human and there's lots of distractions today. And I usually recognize that's when the enemy is trying to interfere with the word. And so it's not any individual person or any sound or anything else. Holy Spirit, can you just quiet any interference that might be blocking our hearts, our ears, and our minds? And especially as a communicator, that you'll quiet my heart and help me to be able to focus and overcome whatever the natural obstacles are in order that I can be faithful to be an instrument of you to repeat what you put in my heart. In your name I pray, amen. So God had a dream for Paul to get to Rome, but you're, you know what really God's assignment for Paul was? What was number one on God's list? I'm going to get you to Rome so that you can what? So that you can testify before not just anybody, but Caesar, who for all intents and purposes was the most influential man, argued argumentatively could have been, the most influential man on the face of the earth. God so loved the Caesar that he set a whole chain of of activities into motion decades earlier. And this shipwreck that we're about to study was part of this grand scheme of God getting a man named Paul who had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ to make a personal presentation of the gospel to a Caesar who was lost and on his way to hell unless someone would tell him about Jesus. And so here we are in this boat. They got on a first boat, then they got on a second boat. There's three groups of people on the boat. There's sailors. Well, there's four groups. There's sailors. Those are the people who ran the boat, the owner, the merchants, the crew, Then you have the soldiers. They are the ones who are escorting the third group of people who are the prisoners. Now, with the exception of Paul, the rest of these prisoners, we don't know how many there were, maybe a dozen or more, I don't know. They're convicts. They're on their way to Rome to be thrown into the arena for entertainment. Then you have the fourth group of people who are just everybody else. You got Luke. You've got Aristarchus. They are the only other two Christians on the boat, as far as we know. They are friends of Paul's. Luke is traveling along as a historian, as a writer, perhaps as the physician for Paul. Aristarchus is, we don't know exactly the whole relationship, but Paul says, he's my fellow prisoner for Christ. And then you have just whoever happens to be on the boat. They've made it as far as Fairhaven last week. It's bad sailing season. Weather's starting to go bad. All 276 people come to the same conclusion. We're not going to make it to Rome by winter. We ought not even try. It is, it, is a, it, is a, it is a lost cause if we try and do it. We've got to find a place to spend the winter. We have two options. Here in Fair Havens, which was neither fair nor a haven. 
it was a terrible place to winter as we covered last week. Or we can push on to Phoenix. And they decided to push on to Phoenix. Even after Paul said, listen, fellas, if there's one thing I know, it's shipwrecks. I've been in several. And these are the exact same conditions I've been through before. And I'll tell you right now, we're headed for a shipwreck. And they took a vote and Paul lost. So off they went. That brings us up to today's lesson. If you would, I will obviously not get through all of the detail I'd like to. And so if you would like access to all of the research and the study notes for today, you can scan that and you can download it. Um, six or seven pages of um, the expanded notes and details from this passage, as well as links to the different videos and sermons and books and commentaries and resources that I consulted to draw some of the, to test some of the conclusions that I felt like I was putting in my heart to make sure I'm bringing you the best that I can, um, the most accurate word that I can today. Let me remind you, um, it had gotten bad. It was a two-week storm. Now, I've never been in a storm that lasted two weeks. Even our hurricanes, they don't last two weeks in one spot localized. Usually they move on. They are in a two-week storm. It's bad. Bad to the point where they can't see the shore. They can't see the stars. They have no way to navigate. They have already gotten rid of the sail and the rudders, so they can't steer. They at least have come to this conclusion. It's fruitless to fight the storm. We might as well just try and survive the storm. And that's a great place of wisdom to come to in life. Storms are great metaphors for life. And the first two things you need to do to survive a storm is, number one, you need to recognize that you are in one. That it is a storm and it's not something else. You've got to recognize you're in one. Secondly, you've got to decide, is this a storm that I need to fight or I need a storm I need to survive? Because you behave differently. They started off by trying to fight the storm and it proved when every tool that they had at their disposal was either rendered useless or counterproductive, they eventually cut those things off and threw them out. And they said, okay, this is a storm survival thing. We might as well just let this thing blow itself out. It will eventually end. And when it ends, if we survive it, we can take new coordinates and say, where am I now and what opportunities are in front of me when this storm blows? Because here's the reality. God doesn't silence every storm. Amen. Hallelujah. No, he just doesn't. I like the stories where Jesus gets up and says, peace be still, and it all quiets down. Haven't you ever prayed that prayer over something? Have you ever had it not work? (laughs) Well, how do I know the difference between which storms that Jesus is going to quiet and which ones I need to ride out? You have to walk close to him and gain some experience. If you walk close to Jesus, he'll help you figure it out, and then you can behave accordingly. That's a whole other message in and of itself. But they recognize we're not, this is not a storm that we can navigate through. They, everything that they had at their disposal to normally navigate through the storm, it wasn't working. So they, they just said, let's just ride this thing out. And after two weeks, Paul himself says, everyone on the ship had lost hope. Paul's, and you're thinking, Paul lost hope? Paul might be thinking, I know I had a word from the Lord before I got on the boat that said, Way back when I was in prison, it said, I'm going to send you to Rome to talk to Caesar. And that fueled him until he got on the first boat and the second boat, maybe the first 13 days. But he might now be thinking, maybe it was a mistake for me to not protest more back on shore. 
maybe because we're on this boat, even after I knew we shouldn't, and I was ineffective at avoiding this, maybe I'm going to die here. Maybe I've missed it. Maybe I just had a bad sandwich the night I thought it was an angel that visited me. Have you ever just, you had a word from the Lord, and later on you just said, well, maybe. It doesn't look like we're moving in that direction. Maybe I was just crazy. Maybe I just missed it. Maybe the person who told me had a bad sandwich the night before. I don't know. But it all changed when Paul had a special visitation at night on that ship. And just by means of review, because I've got to keep a push in this morning. Um, by means of review, Paul has this awesome experience. An angel visits Paul at night and gives him a message from the Lord. Well, the next day he calls a all hands on deck. He calls a meeting of all 276 passengers. And Paul, interestingly enough, he starts off the boat as the prisoner, and now he's pretty much the leader. He's just a leader. I'll tell you, storms will draw out who you really are. This storm draws out who Paul, he's a maker of friends. He's an encourager. He is a leader. He is an intercessor. He knows he belongs to God. And so it's drawing all this stuff out of him. So he calls everybody around and he gives them a speech. I'll read from last week, verse 22 in Acts chapter 27. Here's what he says to the boat. Take courage, good news. None of you will lose your lives. Bad news, we're gonna lose the ship. The ship will go down, he says. How do you know, Paul? Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong, in other words, I'm God's possession and he keeps good track of us. And whether you think you're his possession or not, the good news is, is one of his possessions is on your boat. So by proxy, you're all in good shape. I belong him and I serve him. That angel stood beside me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, which is good because Paul was afraid. You surely will stand trial before Caesar. Now, how does that sound like good news? Also, again, see, for God so loved the Caesar. Do you see how much he loves Caesar? He's still saying, Paul, I'm going to keep you alive, not even for your sake. You're on your way to heaven. If you die, that's for your benefit. But there's somebody you need to get to. <laughs> What's more, God in his goodness has heard your prayers and has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. And so then Paul turns to the crew and says, so take courage. I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. So he says, guys, it's going to get better, but it might look worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. Take courage. Paul had had an experience with the angel. The storm was still going on, but now he had courage. And isn't that what you need even more than the storm to stop? Anybody can be brave if you just have a get out of storm free card. You know what's really weird and what the world wants and what you want? Lord, give me courage to be as peaceful in the storm as I am outside the storm. Lord, help me to be brave and not drift from you, not drift from my healthy relationships, not drift from my Bible study and my prayer, not drift from serving other people, not back away from having opportunities to share your faith, not to drift from being able to feel your presence. Help me be anchored even while the storm rages so that when it's over, there's life at the end of it. Because I got news for you. If you're more than probably three years old, you know you've been in a storm. Maybe you're in one today. Maybe there's one in your rearview mirror. And maybe you can't see. Look, some storms you can see coming. Radar says it's coming. 
And it might be one you can drive around or might be one you're going to have to go through. But some storms you can see coming, other ones you can't. But it is the Lord who authors even storms, David says. I think Psalm 133, praise ye the Lord, all ye storms who do his bidding. In other words, the Bible says God has a divine purpose for storms. Pastor, I do not like this. All I know is this. Storms in life are things that I didn't ask for, but that are pushing me in a direction I don't want to go. And storms, if I will allow them, will take me to a place I never would have gone if the storm didn't push me there. So I can either fight it, or I can batten down the hatches and just let it blow itself out survive and then say, man, had it not been for that storm, I never would have taken this, quit that, started this, met him, met her, changed this, reconsidered that, polished up this resume, turned down that job, changed my location. I never would have done this except for the storm. Thank God for the storm. Now you can see that in your rear view mirror, but that's not usually at the front mirror. Oftentimes we see God looking in this mirror and you don't see him here. So if you can't see him here, don't forget to look there. That's another message for another day. I got I to gotta push on. Acts chapter 17, verse, Acts chapter 27, verse 27. Oh, how that worked out nicely. All right. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They had not sensed this for two weeks. Well, how did they know? I don't know. Two possibilities. Maybe number one, there was enough of a clearing in the storm that they visually could sight land. Or maybe they could hear the waves actually breaking on land. And either way, they sensed land might be near, so they wanted to test it out. So they got out their sonar equipment, their ancient sonar equipment. They dropped a weighted line and found the water was 120 feet deep. Some of your Bibles might have fathoms. I think it says 20 fathoms. A fathom is six feet. 120 feet deep. A little later, they measured again. They found it was only 90 feet deep. What are they doing? Like I said, ancient sonar. They had these weighted ropes with rocks or weights tied on the end. They were marked in six-foot increments. They throw it over the side of the boat. They wait until they feel it hit the ground. When it hits the ground at the bottom of the sea, they would mark it. They'd pull it up, and they'd count, and they'd know how deep the water was. Then they'd wait a certain amount of time and throw it over again, and they'd mark it again. And using math which is a novel concept, they could figure out whether they were moving towards shallow ground, which meant land, and they could figure out how fast. Well, based on their calculations, they were a little alarmed. We can read what happened, verse 29. Based on their calculations, at this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. Here's what they're saying. We're getting close to land, but we're moving so fast that we're going to crash. And so they did two things. These pagans on the boat, you've got three Christians, probably 273 pagans. They threw out four anchors from the back of the boat, and they did something really out of character for pagans. What'd they do? They prayed. Apparently, there are no atheists on a shipwreck. Desperate times, even people who are, they're like, I'll try anything. They prayed for daylight. Now, it's kind of interesting that they threw out four anchors from the back. That's not the way they normally anchored a boat. They normally either threw them from the front or two in the front and two in the back. But you can read through the notes and figure out the theory behind nautically why they threw them all out in the back was actually a pretty wise choice. 
But they threw out four anchors. Why'd they throw out four anchors? They want to get to land. Why'd they throw out four anchors? To slow them down, to stabilize them, until what? Till the storm passes. It's an anchor slows your drift in a storm. An anchor will not stop the storm, but it keeps you from crashing before the storm ends. I'm going to give you an application point here. When you find yourself, and you will, and you probably have, when you find yourself in a raging life storm, you are in a situation. Maybe you saw it coming, maybe you didn't. But you're in a storm you didn't ask for. You didn't create it in your lab. You're in a storm. And you recognize this is a storm. It is pushing my heart to feel things I don't want it to feel. It is pushing me to have to decide things or choose things I don't want to decide. It is pushing me into a corner I don't want to be pushed in. It is hiding things from me that I used to depend on that I don't want to be hidden from me. It is pushing me in a direction I don't want to go. And when that happens, you will feel disoriented. You will feel helpless. You will feel afraid. You will question God. You will question yourself. You will question your faith. When you find yourself in there and fear starts to take over, throw, the, throw your anchors into the sea and pray. There are anchors that you as a follower of Jesus can throw down In a storm, and here's what I want to tell you, that anchor won't make the storm stop. It won't. What it will do, it will preserve you from drifting into the rocks until the storm ends. Ten years ago, I think it was my fifth Sunday here. I remember it very clearly. Nothing in my previous pastoral experience prepared me for this assignment at Echo. And some of you are like, Pastor, we know. (laughs) And previously in my ministry experiences, every time I encountered what I felt like was a storm or a bumpy patch in my ministry, I could look to the stars and the shore. I could look to the paddles or the rudders or the sail, things that God had put in my life to help me navigate ministry. I could lean on my leadership skills. I could lean on my financial acumen. I could lean on my teaching gifts. I could lean on my pastoral, pastoral and leadership abilities and how I worked with people. And most of the time, using that equipment helped us navigate the storms until we got to safer water. But I remember it was the fifth or the sixth Sunday that I was here. We got in our car after the service, Kendra and I, and Chase, who was seven months old at that time. And it was a particularly rough morning. I was not used to getting to church two hours before it started and unloading a trailer into a high school and then having to turn around and try and preach and then being rewarded by preaching with having to load the whole trailer back up again. That was just new to me. And there's an, oh, oh, that's so much fun. Yeah, do it for a few years, right? (laughs) Some of you have done that, right? Uh, My wife was 
moving. My wife, you know, got on board with this idea because, you know, we're like, well, she's a public school teacher. We'll be able to move to Maryland and she can just transfer her license up here and um, teach up here. And that door slammed closed. And so she found herself like, well, I guess I'll teach the kids ministry, but I've got a seven month old and I've got to set up my whole area on Sunday. And so I'm going to have to let the seven month old cry over here on the floor. And so it's just this headspace as a parent that was just that particular Sunday wasn't a good one for us. I remember the beginning of that service. I looked around, and I, I, would, I could name the names, but I won't. There were two people besides me in the seats at the beginning of the service, two people. And there were seven people on the platform leading worship. And I was like, wow, this is not anything I've ever experienced before. And I was preaching my heart out every week. And I remember that particular day, and I remember who the people were. And I, unfortunately, oh, unfortunately, I remember what they said, but... Some of the few people there said some very particularly unkind things to me that morning in front of my family. And I remember getting in my car at the end of that service and saying to Kendra, Kendra, have I just lost it? Have I lost my ability to preach? Have I lost my ability to lead? Have I missed God? Have I totally led you and Chase up here to Maryland? Have I gotten on the wrong boat? Because I don't know what to do here. For me, no, I'm not a sailor, so I, I don't need the stars and the shore. And, but all these other things that were like that, my ability to teach, my ability to lead, none of those things were helping me forward here. And I was embarrassed before the Lord. I was like, God, I, I'm sure that when you look down today, you weren't like, wow, they, he really honors me. That's really, you just are looking. And I just said to my wife, I said, did, did we miss God? She said, I don't, she, I, she said, I don't think so. I said, do you think we'll have enough resources and people power and things to make it another week or two weeks? And then she said, I don't know. And I'm like, that's not the answer you're supposed to give. I said, well, what, what do you know? What do we do? And my wife would tell you straight up front, she's not someone who says, I'm a prophet. I get all these words for the Lord, but I, she's my wife. I just trust, I, I, Open up my heart to whatever she has to say because she's equally vested in me and all these different things. And she said, here's the only thing that keeps coming to my mind. I feel like God is saying, I will build this church and I will do it in such a way that no man would dare take credit for it. Well, how did you know it was a word from the Lord? I'll tell you how I knew it's because that was not what either of our natural brains were thinking. And I grabbed onto that. I've never had, I shouldn't say, I'm not aware of having ever been visited by an angel. It's possible I have been and just didn't know. I didn't have an angel come to me at night like Paul did, but it might as well have been for me. That was that kind of a moment. And you know what? The storm didn't stop that afternoon. The storm I found myself in, the challenges, the feeling like I didn't have a navigation, not knowing where we were going, thinking I had a direction and we weren't going to get there. That didn't clear up, but I can't tell you how many times over the last decade I've gone back to that word. And every time I do, it encourages me. It strengthens me. And I can honestly tell you, I don't think God is finished fulfilling that promise. I think he's well on his way, though. He is building his church. First of all, it, Echo does not belong to me. What church you go to? I go to Phil Nower's church. Phil Nower ain't got a church. This is Jesus' church. Stick around long enough, I will disappoint you. I will fall short of some expectation you have for me. Okay? 
And in the, in the occasions where I have done that, I either need to be forgiven or quite candidly, you need to reconsider the expect, maybe the expectations you have for me and your pastors aren't fair. And maybe you need to think, is it right for me to expect that of them? I didn't hear any amens, but, but I know my pastors are nodding along and saying, yeah. Unrealistic expectations are, Wes, premeditated disappointments, right? But the reality is I think God is building this church. We're not in the high school loading in and out every week. <laughs> I know some of, and it's, but you know what? Some of our folks miss that. And I, and I appreciate that. There is a camaraderie that comes along that your pastor and his back don't miss that at all. <laughs> I saw a few hands who were here 10 years ago. That means the rest of you have come in since then. Thank you for being here. He is building his church. And he is doing it in such a way that is not, to be honest, is not found in any of my leadership. I have scoured those leadership books to try and find what to do. The answer is not in there. God is just mysteriously building his church because you can trust God to make good on his word. He is not a God that he would lie. And his reputation is sterling perfect. And when you find yourself in the storm, you've got to throw some anchors into the sea and pray. I'll skip right to the end because we're, and then I'll read the rest of the story. Paul and those guys threw four anchors in the sea. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you go online and you Google this passage, you'll find 500 messages on pastors that will tell you, here's the four anchors Paul threw in the water. None of their answers are the same. It's just a really nice, it's kind of like God's giving you a soft toss as a pastor. They threw their four anchors in the water and you come and you say, here's the four anchors you should throw in your water in a storm. And I, when I read this, I'm like, I am not going to preach that. And then I got more into it. I was like, okay, I'm going to preach that. But I'm not going to just use this as a fill in the blank to put in there what I think your four anchors should be based on my experience. I looked for what, were there at least four things that Paul was able to throw into the water during this storm to keep him from crashing? Now, you should listen to this and memorize this. If you're not in a storm, this is especially the time to listen. You think more clearly about storms when you're not in them. Make a decision now for what you're going to do then rather than waiting until then. That's, oh, that's a really, that, I wish you could apply that to marriage and marital arguments. and dis, Decide now how you're going to respond when someone says something ignorant to you rather than letting it up to your flesh in that moment. Like, decide now. What four anchors did he throw out? I'll give you four. Okay. First thing that Paul, his exercises, sit-ups, push-ups, 200 a day. I'm just kidding. There's a reason why I throw that number out. I'll share that story in a moment. His exercises, the effort he put into his, he, Bible study and prayer, you see it in here, and I know you're thinking, and let me just clarify this. I do not believe that Paul had taken a New Testament out of the nightstand at one of the hotels he stayed at along the way and had that with him on the boat. First of all, there's a reason why. The New Testament wasn't finished being written yet, and the Old Testament scriptures were not mass published yet. But I think Paul had something pretty good. Don't you think he had pretty much all the scriptures committed to memory at that point? He carried that word with him wherever he went, and we know he prayed on that boat during the storm. Why? Because the angel says, God has granted you an answer to your prayer for safety for everybody here. Even in the storm, I don't see him taking offerings. I don't see him playing worship songs. He didn't get to preach many sermons. But by God, he he stayed close to the word and he prayed. 
And I will tell you, at the end of the day, you want to make it through a storm, those are, you, you drop that anchor. You will not grow spiritually if you don't study your Bible and pray. You will not. You will not. You will not. You will not. Study the Bible and pray. What is your Bible study rhythm like right now? Is it consistent or inconsistent? Is it planned or whenever you remember? Is it dull and boring and mechanical or is it an inspiring and life-giving? Do you look forward to it or do you feel like you have to do it and you feel worse about yourself when you don't and better when you do? That's miserable. Why would you want to live that way? I pray over every one of you and into every one of you. If Jesus takes me home tomorrow, I pray you'll remember this. Study your Bible at least a little bit every day. Pray a little bit every day. Well, how much is a little bit? I don't care. You decide. Study this. If you're drifting spiritually before you blame me or blame James or blame Zach, let me ask you something. Are you vested in surviving your storm more than you want me to be? Are you in this? Are you seeking this? Do you spend time with God in prayer every day? Those are anchors. They don't necessarily stop storms. They will help you survive them. All my Bible reading will not spare you in your storm. All my prayer, all my sermon, I wish it would work that way. I would do it for every one of you. But I've been in ministry long enough to know the best thing I can do is equip you to do the work of your ministry. I cannot do it for you. I give you milk on Sunday. You need to get to the point where you can have meat. What do you mean, Pastor? That means I've already eaten the word, digested it, and served it to you in a way that you don't have to work real hard to understand it. But maturity is when you can go into the word with you and the Holy Spirit, and you can have a meaningful Bible study with him and you. Well, pastor, if I do that, that'll work you out of a job. I ain't worried about that. (laughs) My goal is not to keep a job. My goal is to make you disciples, to equip you to do the work of your ministry. That's what the Bible says a pastor is, period. Now, people have added on to that job description over the years, fairly and unfairly. Every one of you has a job description for your pastors, for me, for James, for Zach. We don't know what that job description you have for us is until we fall short of one of the boxes you had for us. And then you usually don't tell us, you tell somebody else. I'm preaching now. I am. Oh, I'm going to. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, then we as pastors have to decide, are we going to abandon what we know is our top priority so that we score well on your scorecards so that you'll come to church and be happy and pay your tithes and we're not homeless and bankrupt? I'm not playing that game anymore. (laughs) I had to make that decision 10 years ago. Do I care more about pleasing people or being faithful to God's call? And that doesn't mean pastors are excused from doing it. It's just at the end of the day, no human being, no human being can meet everybody's expectations for them. But at the end of the day, when you're in the storm, even more than your anchor of pastor Phil's preaching or whatever it is, you need to be a man or a woman of the word and of prayer. Those are the things that help you survive storms. Another thing that Paul had was this. He had his relationships. Now, on that boat, there weren't a lot of other Christians there. He had Aristarchus, who he considered to be a a fellow prisoner. He considered Aristarchus to be like a Barnabas to him, somebody 
that was just a shoulder-to-shoulder friend that they could live life with and talk spiritual things with. Every believer needs to have three kinds of relationships in your life. You need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, you need a Timothy. I apologize for them to be masculine names. They don't have to be. You need a Paul. You You have to have someone in your life who you trust to bring spiritual leadership to you, but you, gotta, you have to have a one-on-one relationship with them. You have to be on a first-name basis. You need to walk close with them, and you need to be able to give that person permission to say yes, no, or wait on spiritual issues in your life. They're going to help you. Someone that's run at least half of a lap more with Jesus than you have. You need to have a Barnabas in your life. Someone who's a shoulder-to-shoulder friend, a spouse, a family member, somebody who's kind of your place in spiritual maturity, and you can share life, but you can also share your spiritual things. I know lots of, I know a lot of you have a lot of friends. How many of them do you talk to about your walk with Jesus, though? I know a lot of friendships within church. You've been friends with other people in church in 10 years, and you've never talked about your spiritual relationships with each other. That's a good friend. That might not be a Barnabas. You've got to have people in your world. Why? Because then you'll never be far away from care. There will always be somebody in your world who knows where you're at and what's going on, who can speak in your life. Pastors don't know everything. I know that's a shocker to a lot of you. We don't know. I mean, if there's two or 300 people that call this church their home, odds are I probably don't know everything, all the storms that's going on in everybody's life at one time. There are some people who walk closer to me than others. I know what's going on in their world. Well, Pastor, how can you live with that? Well, I have to hope that the community itself, if you're here and you have at least one friend in this church who knows what you're going through, I'm hoping that friend is a godly friend to you and providing for you the support and the strength that you need, even if it can't come from one exact person. What's healthier is to have a family. Thank you, James. (laughs) Because, yeah, I can take care of the people in my circle. I will just tell you right up front. I can't care for 300 people. I can't do it. Wish I could. I can't. And that means some people are always going to look like the favorites and some people are going to look like the unfavorites. Fortunately, the Bible never says that's the model. The Bible says we're a body and we're a family. And we care for each other. And that means I have to be able to say, you know what? Even if Pastor Phil wasn't by my side when I went through this, it wasn't because I don't think it's because he's a terrible person and a bad guy and that he hates me. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe there were 37 other people. But somebody from my family in God was there with me, and that's good enough. I ate even if it wasn't the chef I would have picked. You want to be a family? That's what family looks like. Otherwise, you're going to put expectations on all kinds of people they can never stand up under. You have to have accurate understandings of that. He had relationships with Timothy's on that boat, which is the third kind of relationship you need to have. You and I need to have at least somebody in our life that's looking to us for spiritual leadership. Paul had 273 people on that boat who were pagans. He was very aware of that. That's why these prayers for their safety were at night quiet on the hush. As a parent, I've been in several instances where there was danger. And I was with my two boys. I am very aware that there are four eyes immediately looking at my face to see should we be alarmed or should we be okay. And I'm very aware in those moments I need to be brave, level-headed, and strong. Even if not for me, I need to be it for them. Relationships in a storm will keep you grounded, will keep you from drifting too deeply. He also uses equipment. God has given you all equipment. 
1 Corinthians 12 says, God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us all some equipment. He calls them spiritual gifts. He's given you a gift. Or more. We don't know how or who he decides. The Holy Spirit gives them out as he determines. Some get a lot, some get a few, some get in between. Doesn't matter. The more, you get, the more you're gifted, the more you're responsible and accountable for. But the purpose of that gift is for you to have something within you from God to benefit somebody else's life, to strengthen another believer, or to help an unbeliever. We all have gifts. Paul had many gifts. Two of them were leadership and encouragement. And in the storm, even as much as he could have been focused on how he was going to survive, and make, well, he was actively regularly giving out of that gift to other people around him to benefit them. He was giving out his leadership gifts. He was giving out encouragement. They weren't even all that effective at first. We'll find out in a second. But he was serving and serving. Next week, you'll find he got to shore. And the Bible says, as Paul was walking around gathering firewood, he wasn't too proud to unload the van on Sunday. He could have just said, hey, I don't gather firewood. I was one who prophesied we get to the shore. Servants, you go do all this. He's, no, he's out there picking up firewood. He's serving. Even in a storm, I'll tell you, there's something supernatural that happens when you'll say, yeah, life is rough right now, but I'm, gonna still, I'm still gonna show up on Wednesday night and teach the boys. I'm still gonna come and play the drums on a Sunday. I'm still going to use my gift of encouragement. I'm not gonna get so hyper-focused on myself and how bad I have it that I'm gonna forget to use what he gave me to bless others. And I will tell you that's something that helps you from drifting during the storm. If you can still remain focused on the fact that God's given you a gift and it still works in the storm, if you can minister to other people during the storm, there's this mysterious filling back up that God does in your heart while that happens. Number four, I gotta finish he had also in this storm some God moments and gospel moments. He had some experiences. I remember being in that storm I felt like I was in 10 years ago. And I had that moment that I go back to in my first Honda Pilot, sitting there next to my wife with Chase falling asleep and her saying that word from the Lord she got from me. That's been an anchor that hasn't stopped every storm, but it keeps me from drifting into second guessing and hopelessness and cynicism and fatalism and selfishness. When we go through storms, I'm like, I'm holding on to that word. God promised Paul, you're gonna testify to Caesar. Now, if I were Paul, I'd be like, and God, what after that? Some of you know Paul's story. There's a reason why that's as far down the road as God told him. Pretty much like, hey, after that, Paul, no guarantees after that. But I know God's given a word, and I keep going back to that. Even in a storm, can you still sense God's presence? Do you still have moments? What's a God moment? It's just a time you experience, and you know that you know that you know that God's presence is near you. That's a God moment. It's unique and personal and real to you. When's the last time you had one of those? If it's been a few months, can I encourage you to reconnect? I want you to drift. You drift or you draw, and I don't want you to drift. I want you to draw. A gospel moment's when the Holy Spirit opens up an opportunity for you to talk to somebody else about your story or his story and the intersection between the two. When was the last time you had one of those? Paul didn't miss that. As bad as it was on the boats, he never lost an opportunity to talk to lost people about the reason why he had faith in God. 
I will tell you, those four anchors, you listen to other pastors, they'll give you more. You probably have 50 anchors, but I'm going to tell you, at least those four, I've tested them all. They all work. What do you mean work? I mean they keep me from crashing in the storm. Well, what about the one storm where you're crashing? To live is Christ, to die is gain. You want to make it as a believer. You want to make it to the prize. Anchor yourself on those four things. If you're in a storm today and you feel like you're drifting, which of those things have you not tossed over? Which have you neglected? Which do you need to overemphasize? Maybe you're in a storm and you've got these things going on. Then, hey, work those anchors. Use those things in your life to keep you from drifting. If you're out of the storm, don't, don't pull them up and forget about them during the, you know, until you get there. Those are the things we need to have anchoring our life that keep us on track, that keep us moving in God's direction, even in a storm. Let me finish reading the story. Where did I leave off? Team, help me out. 30? Did I get to 29? Okay, okay verse 30. Then the sailors, oh, see, see how effective Paul's motivational speech was. What's the next thing that happens? Be encouraged, you're not going to die. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. Pastor gets ready to close the message, and everybody just runs out. Right? Abandoned ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. Here's the thing that I see. Paul, do you think he believed the word from the Lord that he got the night before? How do you know Paul believed it? How do you think Paul, how, do you, how can you be so convinced that, the, that Paul believed that what the angel told him was true? He shared it. He acted on it. Was there a change in Paul's countenance before and after the word that he got from the Lord? I would say we know of. It's okay. All hope in the boat had been lost. Angel visits Paul. What's he stand up and say? I'm encouraged. I believe God. This is good. Be encouraged, everybody. He had a change in his attitude that was unrelated to a change in his circumstances. Are you here today? You know why some of you get stuck? You know all the Bible verses. You just don't believe any of them. We say God is good. Yeah, God is good all the time. He's good. You don't believe it. I can preach good news every week. I can give you the word. And you go home and say, that was a good word. I don't believe it. I would never say I don't believe it. Well, then what changes your countenance? Do you wait until the storm has passed and then you change? Or can you say in the middle of the storm, I believe it. Therefore, in the middle of the storm, I'm encouraged. That doesn't mean I'm crazy. It means I believe the word of the Lord for me. Paul had a dramatic change in his whole countenance and attitude after the Lord reassured him everything was going to be okay. And he gets up and he tells everybody it's going to be all right. I'm changed. Yes, it's raining. Yes, we're sinking. Yeah, we're going to crash up there. Yeah, the boat's going to sink, but it's going to be all right. Not a one of you is going to lose a hair of your head, which would have meant nothing to me, but he says it anyway. And right after the speech, what do the sailors do? I'm out of here. So they lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. What are they doing? Here's what they do. Hey, everybody, uh, sailors are going to have to excuse ourselves from the meeting. There's some anchoring we need to do up front. Y'all just stay back there. We're going to go up here and lower the anchors. Just all the sailors, you know, all the sailors are going to lower the anchors. All right, guys, 
throw the lifeboat over. Let's get out of here. They're pretending to lower the anchors, but they actually lower the lifeboat. Paul sees what's going on. Paul goes not to the sailors. Paul goes to the soldiers and says, you know, guys, you're all going to die unless those sailors stay on the board. Please go through those notes if you don't. There's something very interesting here. People have a problem with this. The angel of the Lord came and promised Paul, you're all going to be saved. That's the sovereign God. You think God was powerful enough to make good on that promise? Yes. And yet, the very next day, we have some people trying to desert the boat. And Paul says to the officers, I know earlier on I said we're all going to be saved. However, there's a condition. If you desert the boat, all bets are off. So is it man's choice that saved them or God's sovereignty? Yes. Both. It's some mysterious relationship between God saying, I'm going to save you. And if you desert the boat, all bets are off. Well, pastor, how does that fit together? Mysteriously, perfectly. Are you Calvin or Armenian? No, it's both. All through the word, you see those two things working together. I can tell I've lost you. Verse 32. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. What do you think the relationship was like from that point on between the soldiers and the sailors? Little icy. Verse 33. Just as day was dawning. Now, it's interesting. How would they know it was dawning if it was still stormy? Maybe there's a little break in the sky. Paul urged everyone to eat. This is beautiful. He says, you've been so worried you haven't touched food for two weeks. Do you think there was a hangriness issue? Isn't this beautiful? God cares about not only the spiritual things. He cares about you doing the right physical things you need to do to fight the battles he's called you to fight. Paul knows, look, this boat's going to shipwreck. We're going to have to swim. If these people don't have enough calories, they won't be strong enough to swim the swim they need to swim to be saved. So he says, let's have, you know what you really need today? You need a snack. You need a good breakfast and some prayer. So that's what they have. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God, and broke off a piece and ate it. What does that sound like? Communion. I'm going to tell you I don't think it's communion, but it sounds good. First of all, Paul is the only one who participated. He served himself first, and there's 273 pagans on the boat. So I don't know that it's communion, but neither here nor there. They eat together. I don't know if it was delicious or not delicious. I can't imagine what two-week-old wet grain cooked on a boat in a storm tastes like, but it had a good effect. Verse 36, miraculously, everyone was encouraged and began to eat. I wish I had time to unpack this. Is it possible that maybe your grouchiness in your storm is it possible just possible that maybe you're adding to it because you're neglecting your own physical need you're not eating right you're not sleeping right you're not exercising and amazingly enough sometimes all of life just feels better after a nap and a snack says the lord of hosts (laughs) All 276 of us who were on board, after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the leftovers overboard. Verse 39, when morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline. Here's the irony of the story. Here's why they didn't recognize it. If you look in a map, there is one tiny dot, one speck of land where this boat was. 
you look at where they actually landed. If they missed this tiny little speck of land, the next closest land is the Tunisian coast 200 miles away, and they never would have survived that. There's one tiny little speck of land that they had to hit. And in spite of their own efforts, God blew that boat right to that island. They never would have gone there if left to their own choices. And when they finally stopped fighting the storm, they got exactly where they were supposed to go. Grab onto that, somebody. They saw a bay, which today is named, anybody know? St. Paul's Bay. Mm-hmm. We're, we're experts looking backwards, aren't we? With a beach. And they wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. I wish I had time to unpack that strategy, but it's 1231 and I'm keeping you from cake. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. There's a link in there where you can watch about Mr. Cornuke's uh, archaeological expedition where he believes he's found all four anchors. It's fascinating. It's in the back of your notes. Then they lowered the rudders and raised the foresail, but I thought they threw the sail overboard. They obviously kept one, a smaller one that wasn't as good as the original one as a spare for just this type of a situation. And they headed towards shore. Things are getting better until verse 41. But then they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. Doesn't this happen? You're like, Lord, really? One more thing? I step on the splinter. I got to go to patient first. I get there. Someone scratches my car. I go inside. I left my wallet at home. Really? The bow of the ship stuck fast, so the stern is being repeatedly smashed by the force of the wind. It begins to break apart, and so here's what we got. The soldiers, they decide, you know what? Let's kill all the prisoners to make sure they don't swim ashore and escape. How would you like to be the prisoner having a front row seat to them debating that in front of you? Well, why were they going to kill the prisoners? If you were a soldier, do you want a prisoner who's condemned to death to escape on your watch? Of course not, because why? Then you're guilty of their punishment, and you would be killed. They're like, it's them or us, it's going to be them. But the commanding officer, oh, don't you, be around people who God favors, right? But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't. See, that's where the whole gospel is in this passage. You have the guilty lives who were spared because of the, and okay, anyway. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. I am so glad that an innocent Jesus hung on the cross in my place so that I could be spared because of him. I am guilty. I deserve death. And in this passage, Paul is a type of Christ. Because the one with the power to kill them all says, nonetheless, I will spare them, not because of their track record, but because of the character of this man. Okay, Totally not in my notes. I need to remember that I said that because I wish I would have seen that earlier this week. That would have been point number three. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for land. So the swimmers got in the water first. What about the others? They got to surf or bodyboard. I'm not kidding you. There are literally people who have made a doctrine out of surfing out of these verses. The rest of them held on to planks or debris from the broken ship and pretty much rode the waves into shore. And then there's this awesome final verse. Praise Jesus. So everyone escaped safely to shore. God's word is faithful and true. Amen. Worship team, come back. Let me pray for you this morning. Everybody, not just the worship team. I'm going to pray for all of you. 
know we're out of time. We're over time by four minutes. I want to just give an opportunity right now for anyone in this house today who knows that you're not ready to go into eternity. If your life was required of you today and you had to stand trial before God, you're uncertain as to where you would spend eternity. Well, God has sent me to you today to say you have a choice. You can be sure. You can be saved. You cannot save yourself. You can't improve yourself enough to live the better life you know you should be living that you know you can't live on your own. It's the same message that Paul was giving to these men. You can put your faith and trust in God. You have that choice. You have to believe that you need him because you need to be saved. You have to believe Jesus can save you. That means he has the ability to save you because he's the only one who has ever lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in our place to pay our penalty. And he rose from the dead, which means he's defeated sin, which we can't defeat. And he's defeated death, which we can't defeat. Not even Elon Musk. He's trying. He can't do it. And you have to believe he will save you if you ask. You need to be saved. He can't save you. He will save you. And you have to decide in that moment that I'm going to repent. I am going to turn away from living life by my rules and standards. And I'm going to surrender leadership of my life to the Lord. I'm going to live his way. Repent and believe. And you just confess that to Jesus with your words. And you will be saved. You can do that right here, right now. A simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I need to be saved. I know you can save me. Because I'm convinced that history's account of you is true. That you were sinless. You died on the cross, not for anything you did wrong, but because of my wrongs. And I'm, I believe the eyewitness reports of the people who saw you having been raised, and that I believe they're telling me the truth. And for those reasons, I put my hope in you. And I believe that you're hearing me right now. And I believe you can save me. And I'm asking, please save me. I'm repenting from living without you. I'm surrendering to your lordship. I'm inviting you to, to come and live inside of me. And he will. He will. If you prayed that prayer, you're saved right here, right now. You are gloriously saved. You're transformed. And you are continuing a spiritual journey now of becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. Here's all I ask. If you prayed that prayer with me today, would you be brave enough if, when I count to three to just lift your hand, make eye contact with me. You can put your hands right back down. One, two, three. Anybody join me in that prayer today? Anybody at all? We prayed for you this morning. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, brother. We prayed for you this morning. Seriously. I stood in that circle and I said, Jesus, draw somebody here that needs to hear this today. And I'm thankful that he answered that prayer. Second question. You're in a storm and you know you are. I want to be one of those anchors of relationship with you to just pray. Pray over you and pray for you throughout this week. And I'm going to pray over everyone in just a moment. But if you'd say, Pastor, I just want to acknowledge that I'm in a storm right now. I would welcome your prayer over me. I would just welcome your prayer over me, over my life. All I'm asking you to do is in this moment, just slip up a hand and make eye contact with me. I won't ask any more of that. Thank you, I got you. Anyone else? Pastor, I know. Thank you, sweetheart, I got you. I see you. 
Thank you. Over here. I'm working my way across. Thank you, buddy. I got you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, ma'am. I got you. Okay. Now, everybody, would you open your eyes? Would you lift your heads if you're willing, if you're able? Will you stand with us today? I am going to pray right now across this church because I made eye contact. I know who I'm praying for. I'm going to be praying a prayer of encouragement over you. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and find your places on my right or on my left. Team's going to come and just a moment they're going to serve you if you would like to worship God and you're giving today. Our worship team's going to lead us in singing. I know there's cake and whatever else out here afterwards. It's all there for you. Okay. But let's just allow the Lord this last little moment of our day to be able to seal in and water in whatever we heard from him today that was for us. If you heard something that wasn't for you, it's okay to eat the meat and spit out the bones. It's going to happen sometimes, right? That's okay. Maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper this week. Hopefully I've given you some information there. But I know in this room there are people in storms, and I do not want you to crash into the rocks. I want you to survive. I want you to thrive. And I want you to have that opportunity, having your eyes open and say, now I see why God moved me to this place in my life. And I'm thankful for him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I saw hands representing the whole age spectrum of our church family today. Folks, they say, I'm in a storm. There's some things going on in my life that are just pushing me in ways I don't want to go. They're hurtful. They're painful, confusing, disorienting. Jesus, I pray that you would give each of those people who raise the hand, first of all, the courage to know which anchors to throw down. The person to reach out to or a an exercise to pick up that's been neglected or maybe an opportunity to serve somebody else to maybe just give us a break from focusing on our own storms and give back to somebody else or maybe just an openness to feeling your presence with us, that feeling like an angel's just standing beside us. Father, we look to you. Even when all else fails, we can trust you. We can trust your word. Father, we recognize that good news is only beneficial to those of us who believe it. And I know that there are times in our lives where we know as followers of yours, we know what verse to quote and what song to sing, but for some reason it doesn't do anything. And the, and, and the barrier is that sometimes we just simply don't believe what we read in your word to the point where it actually strengthens us and encourages us. Father, forgive us for that. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us. We're you kids. We need help. And God, thank you for preserving your church for all these years. Not just preserving, but thriving. I thank you for all the salvations. I thank you for all those who have been baptized in water, all those who have been launched in the ministry. I thank you for those who have come and those who have gone. I thank you for those who have yet to come. At the end of the day, we just want you to be pleased and proud of this church. That you can look down on us and say, well done, Echo. Well done. We love you. We trust you. We believe in you. We return these offerings to you as an act of our worship. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.